We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. With the 34th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select Michael Pittman. Wide receiver, USC. Alrighty, everybody, welcome into a very special edition of Setting the Pace. Normally we talk all things Pacers, but today we're going to change gears a little bit because the NFL Draft happened last weekend. And joining me on today's episode to break down the Colts NFL Draft from Stampede Blue, it is Luke Schulteis. Luke, what's going on, man? Not much, Alex. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad to talk Colts with you today. You know, absolutely. And, you know, it started on Thursday night. The Colts did not have a first-round pick. And, you know, even as a fan of the Colts, knowing there was no pick, I was still interested to see what was happening just because of the circumstances we're in with COVID-19. But, you know, there were some rumors that the Colts were going to be jumping into the first round, possibly, or they had discussions about it. But Chris Ballard annexed all of those rumors, saying that they never even once thought about going back into the first round. So, what were your thoughts, first of all, on those rumors about them possibly moving back in late to the first round? Yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of rumors that the Colts might try to trade up and get Jordan Love, I think, of among all prospects, the Utah State quarterback with the big arm, um, had a bit of a down year, his senior year, but athletically has all the tools if he can get with the right coaching staff and in the right system. Uh, but it just it never seemed like the Colts were too interested, and I think they kind of indicated that when they traded out of the 13th overall pick entirely. Um, of course, trading the 13th pick for San Francisco 49ers all-pro defensive tackle DeForest Buckner. Uh, and I think that kind of just indicated that had the Colts been that enamored with love initially, they probably don't trade out of that 13th spot for a quarterback. I mean, you, you don't want to risk losing you know, potential franchise talent. 
at, if you know if you trade out of that 13 spot and have to trade down because there's no guarantee you might be able to trade up and get him again. Um, but it seemed like the Colts were never fully sold on Love. It doesn't mean they didn't like him as a quarterback. Um, and I think at the 34th spot, they really felt like they could get a really good wide receiver and what's a really deep wide receiver class this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think them acquiring the Washington pick from last year was what you know made that trade a little bit easier uh, to get DeForest Buckner. And one thing you do mention there, it's they obviously did not value Jordan Love as a lot of fans did, as high as a lot of fans did. And I think another thing you can say to that is they went out and got Phillip Rivers. And, you know, they could have just rolled with Jacoby, not went out and signed a quarterback, but you're not going to bring Rivers in here and then go draft somebody 13th overall and make them sit behind both Jacoby and, and Rivers, in my opinion. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's just more obstacles to have to get that starting role when you've got to go through two guys. And I think with Rivers, too, he's, he's at least a one-year stopgap. I think if he plays well next season, there's a good chance he might even be here another year. It just right. depends on where Jacob Eason's development is and maybe if the Colts find another quarterback early on in the draft that they like better than both of those guys. Yeah, and I, I want to go ahead and jump into the Jacob Eason pick, which was uh, on Saturday. He was the fourth round, uh, drafted in the fourth round, 122nd overall. And a lot of fans were wanting Jacob Eason as a backup, as a quarterback for the future, possibly. And I even saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, hey, he might be a second round, third round option. Falls all the way to the fourth round. There are some issues there. And, and Chris Ballard said this in his press conference, you know, he's not the, the Messiah. So quit trying to portray him as that. So what were your thoughts overall with them drafting Jacob Eason in the fourth round? I really liked the pick. I think it was a worthwhile gamble for the mm-hmm. fourth round. I think had you said the Colts drafted Eason in the second, I don't think I like that selection as much. And I think Ballard even said, you know, we're not going to be forced into a quarterback. We're going to let the board play out and let how we value these guys play out instead of just taking quarterback for the sake of taking one. But I think in the fourth round, you start looking at it, and you're now at that point of the draft where you can start gambling on players a little bit. I mean, worst case, you lose a fourth-round pick. You can still get an impact player at that spot, of course, but it's not as it doesn't hurt your franchise as much as if you miss out on a first or second or third round pick, you know, those mm-hmm. the day one picks or the early day two. So I think with him, he at least has that huge arm. I mean, that's one thing that we'll, we absolutely know will play up to the next level. He's got a big arm, arguably the strongest arm in this entire draft class. He's a talented individual. He's really good at play action, which will work well with Frank Reich and the Colts strong running game. when when he ever does get that opportunity to play, um, and he's a guy that's shown the willingness to hang tough in the pocket in those play action situations. Um, it's just the other things. It's the accuracy. It's how he's going to handle pressure consistently. It's whether the you know he can make the open throws and anticipate his open receivers. And, and there's also the issue with his character and his work ethic, which, to his credit, may be a little overblown. I think by some media experts, clearly the Colts didn't think enough of his character, where it was such a detriment that they wouldn't draft him. Right. Um, and I think the hope is that you draft Eason, he's got the big arm, you sit him a year behind Phillip Rivers, who's also kind of that gunslinger too, who you know, at least earlier in his career wasn't afraid to whip the ball around into tight windows, just like Eason kind of gets himself in trouble with sometimes, but still has that arm velocity to make those big throws. So I mean, I think you get him behind Rivers for a year. He learns as a passer, he develops as a passer. 
I think Rivers and Brissett, if he's still there, can really help improve his practice habits, his film room studies. He can kind of just learn what it means to be a pro at the NFL level. And I think he's in a great you know, great situation. He has Frank Reich there, who's a co- former quarterback, an offensive-friendly quarterback's coach. He's be playing behind you know, one of the NFL's great veterans over the last you know, 10, 15 years. So I think it's a great opportunity for him to grow and really flourish at his own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I don't. I agree with Chris Ballard. I don't think he should be appointed, you know, the next Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck or next great Colts franchise quarterback just yet. That's not to say he can't be, but I still think he has a lot to figure out still over the next year or two before the Colts can even really think about him as a long-term starter at the quarterback at their quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, I think best case scenario right now is that he he gets the third string position over Chad Kelly, which I do think that he will outlast Chad Kelly because there's no reason to keep four quarterbacks on your roster. But as far as the next year, we know that both Rivers and Brissett's contracts are going to be up. So at the end of 2020 season, the only quarterback more than likely on this roster in the depth chart is Jacob Beeson. So I do think that there is a need there to have you know a cheaper backup quarterback uh, on the roster if they do decide to bring Rivers back for another year or if they decide to go ahead and make a draft pick next year in the first round or move up, whatever they got to do to acquire the long-term quarterback of the future. I do believe that their vision was, hey, if a quarterback falls to us, it's it's a good idea to invest in one since we won't have one on the roster for next year. But with that being said, you brought up Jacoby Brissett. You said you weren't sure if he would be there. Now, they've kind of squashed all the trade rumors, but it's still a lot of money to be paying a backup quarterback. What are your thoughts on Jacoby Brissett and his future with the Colts? Yeah, I mean, I think ordinarily you look at that and you say, wow, the Colts have you know $45 million or whatever the case is invested in two quarterbacks, Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett, and neither one of them is elite. Brissett, of course, is making essentially starters money this year and you already have Jacob Eason so you know you're probably carrying three quarterbacks you also have Chad Kelly in the mix um, who's another developmental quarterback it seems the Colts though are really big into leadership and having veterans around that can help develop younger guys I think that's a key reason why they even brought Rivers on Um, Brissett didn't play as well down the stretch I know as a lot of Colts fans would have liked but during his time in Indianapolis he's always been regarded for his leadership and being you know a true pro in that locker room Mm -hmm. so I think Colts are really hoping that both of those guys wear off on Eason a little bit who's had those character and work ethic concerns Um, but but I I don't see that going past this year and I think you made a great point too about Eason being a controllable quarterback for the foreseeable future Um, with those two guys as free agents at the end of this next season because you know the the Colts are going to need a valuable backup if that even is Eason's ceiling it turns out he's just a good backup there's still value in that right I mean especially when you're paying Brissett 18 million a year and you can you know you let him off the books next year as a free agent and then you have Eason making a rookie contract for the next you know four or five years whatever the case may be I mean that's that's key and that that really helps your roster and really helps you allocate resources to other needs on the Colts roster. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move uh, let's move forward a little bit here. I know we've been talking a lot about the quarterback position because it's primarily the most important position in football, but you know, the quarterback has to have somebody to throw the ball to, and I think Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver out of USC, getting drafted with the 34th overall pick in the draft. You know, the the Colts 
I was afraid they were going to trade back because it's what they do, but I'm glad they stayed put and they actually moved up in the second round, which was another shocker to me as well in this draft. But they go ahead and get Michael Pittman Jr. I know he wasn't number one on your wide receiver big board for this for this pick, but what are your thoughts on Pittman Jr. and where does he fit in depth chart wise with these wide receivers? Yeah, I really like Michael Pittman Jr. I was more in the Denzel Mims camp just because when you look at size, athleticism, production, um, I, I think he's a little bit further away than Pittman. I think Pittman's more of an immediate contributor who could start as the Colts wide receiver number two next year. I think he's more polished. He's probably also a better natural fit, at least with the Phillip Rivers-led Colts. I mean, he's a 6'4", 223-pound wideout, runs like a 4'5", 3'40 time. Um, tested really well at the combine. I mean, he can move a little bit for his size. He was, I think, 85.3% spark or so as far as measuring his overall athleticism. Um, so he's definitely up there with some of the NFL's best wideouts. Uh, but he's really that type of, you know, the big bodied type of wideout that the Colts really haven't had. I mean, even dating back to Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, they've had some great receivers, but neither one of those guys was very big. T.Y. Hilton, of course, is a multi-year pro bowler, also not very big. But I think Pittman can really complement Hilton, who's a tremendous deep speed threat. I think he's a guy that can go up and win those big jump balls down the field that Phillip Rivers loves throwing to those big wide receivers, even dating back to you know Vincent Jackson or Mike Williams even a little more recently. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy you can throw to as a possession target to get those critical third downs. And, and even with the Colts having lost Eric Ebron at tight end, who was a big red zone threat, I think Pittman can really help replace some of that as just a big target down in the red zone where some of the Colts' smaller receivers like Hilton or Campbell aren't quite as effective because they don't have as much room to really run and separate. So he just seems like a natural fit. He's got great body control. Um, He can high point the football. He's a nuanced and very skilled route runner, and I think he just really understands the game. He's the son of a former NFL running back. He's been lauded for his leadership and toughness. He was a captain for the Trojans. Um, and even contributed on special teams. So he just seems like a really well-rounded, high-character individual who can play right away for the Colts. And it wouldn't shock me next season if he's the number two receiver on the other side, T.Y. Hilton on the outside is the Colts' X, because I think he can be an immediate contributor next season. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he can be, because we've seen the Colts invest in wide receivers, you know, somewhat, but not enough. And they've kind of gone with project-type players in free agency. You know, Funch just gets hurt last year and doesn't really get a chance to prove himself. And I think that they've been trying to find that big-body receiver to go next to T.Y., but it's been kind of sad just to see the the lack of help that T.Y. has gotten as far as wide receiver depth. I mean, we go back to the Grixon era. He drafted Dorsett. He went out and got Andre Johnson, but all those moves didn't pan out the way that you'd hoped they would have. And last year, you know, unfortunately, the best wide receiver outside of T.Y. was probably Zach Paschal. And, you know, he, he was good for what he did. But at the same time, you know, you need someone with a little bit more upside to him where Pascal is more of a, a safe play. And I think that Pascal will still get opportunities with this team on the depth chart. But there's there's still some room to grow here. So as far as Pittman goes, what are some of the things that you just love about his game? Yeah, I think it's just his polish. He's a big guy. He runs really well. You know, he's not necessarily the most explosive receiver. He's not always going to separate, but he knows how to use his body. He has a huge catch radius. He's He can high point the football. Reminds me a lot of Larry Fitzgerald in that regard, who was okay. always great at going up and finding that football. Um, 
he's a skilled route runner. And I think after the catch, he's very competitive. He's a guy that uses his size to his advantage. He's not going to be a guy that's going to run out of bounds. He's going to, you know, really try to take it to the defensive backs who are a lot smaller out there. And I think that's a big advantage for the Colts too. And I think compares really favorable to Vincent Jackson, who Phillip Rivers had a lot of success with in San Diego, throwing you know deep balls, fit those 50-50 balls down the field, and Jackson would consistently win them. And I think Pittman's the same way. He's a guy that can win those jump balls, and he's also a possession target that on a critical you know third and eight, Rivers can kind of throw it up to, and he'll make that catch, kind of in a Reggie Wayne role, but he's obviously a lot bigger in size than Reggie Wayne. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I'm excited about is the size the ability to go across the middle of the field and not worry about, you know, getting taken out, you know, one of those kind of uh, options. It just diversifies the Colts offense. And we know one thing the Colts have emphasized going back to the beginning of last year is they want to run the football. And by doing that, they went out and got Jonathan Taylor running back from Wisconsin. They moved up three picks and they go out and get a guy that a lot of people really like as as a prospect and some of the Colts fans that I saw on Twitter were a little bit you know iffy on the move to go out and get Jonathan Taylor but from what I've seen the the statistics from last year's college season was unbelievable I'm a big fan of this kid and I think that he's going to be special for the Colts what are your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor yeah I actually really like this pick I think at first I was shocked like a lot of people I had done homework on Jonathan Taylor but not nearly as much as I had done on the Colts you know, the receiver prospects for the Colts, who I think they were more apt to take a wide receiver early. Uh, that being said, I'm not surprised with the pick, you know, taking a running back early. The only thing that surprises me about the pick is that it came a year early. I think with Marlon Mack being a free agent at the end of this year, the Colts were probably going to take a running back pretty early on in next year's draft. But I think maybe they looked at Taylor thought he he was probably a first round pick in most drafts he had fallen a little bit he's a tremendous athlete he's been highly productive and they looked at that and said why wait a year mm-hmm. you know, we can get this guy now we know he fits our system we know he's an elite back we, we don't want to be pigeonholed next year into getting a running back when we absolutely have to if we don't like those running backs as much and I look at Taylor, and he's an athletic freak. I mean, he's been compared to Zeke Elliott and some of his athletic measurables. Um, he's compared to Saquon Barkley, I think, a little bit too. I read a stat where at you know 225 pounds, he ran a 4.3940, and he's the only running back since 2014 to run like a sub 4.4540s, and the other one being Saquon Barkley. So, I mean, that's elite company at 225 pounds to be able to run, you know, a 4.3940. So I think he's got incredible athleticism. He's incredibly productive. He's had two, you know, two straight 2,000-yard rushing seasons for the Badgers. He hasn't really missed any time. Rushed for 21 touchdowns, was, you know, first team Big Ten, the Big Ten's running back of the year last year. Um, can do a lot. I think, too, you know, the, the downside with him is probably that, you know, his receiving game is still growing a little bit. Mm-hmm. The critics have kind of gone after him a little bit on that. But to me, it seems like he shows growth at that. He wasn't asked to do that a lot. I think the Colts can develop him a lot in that regard. And with the Colts, you know, Naheem Hines is going to be handling a lot of that passing back work anyway, situationally. So that's not going to really be his bread and butter anyways. Um yeah, that's. I mean, those are all good points. And, and one of the things that I'm curious because I've seen some Jonathan Taylor 
uh, scouting reports, and one of the big things that came out to me was they said he needed to work on his run, uh, his pass blocking. I'm not sure if you studied much of his college game, but would you consider him a bad pass blocker? No, I don't think he's a bad pass blocker. I don't think he was called to do that as much. And I think just like his receiving game, I think in time, if he gets with, you know, Tom Rathman, the Colts running backs coach and does some work with him, I think he'll be, he'll be pretty good in that regard. I don't mm-hmm. think he'll necessarily be like Edric James was where he was elite in that capacity, but I think he's a guy that definitely can throw blocks. I think he'll get better in that role. The Colts still have Naheem Hines who will handle a lot of that work anyways. Um, and I think the other issue, too, was fumbling. Um, I yes, think he had 18 fumbles in his career at Wisconsin. So, I mean, that's going to be another big issue that the Colts are going to have to correct. Tom Rathman, the running backs coach, who's one of the best in the business, I think, um, absolutely can correct that. I think we've seen with p- former running backs like Tiki Barber from the New York Giants immediately comes to mind. He fixed it. He had early fumbling issues and ball security issues early in his career. Um, I-, I think the biggest thing with – Taylor is just how long is he going to be able to play with the amount of carries he got with Wisconsin? I mean, he carried the ball a ridiculous amount of times. I think he had 926 career carries over the past, um, you know, four years or three years he was there rather. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he wasn't durable. He was incredibly durable with, with, with Wisconsin. Uh, he keeps his body in tip top shape. I think he's already a pro in that regard. It's just whether he's going to last past his rookie contract, you know, the next four or five years. Um, But for the Colts, that might not be a bad thing. I mean, that might just be what they're expecting. They're going to get elite production the next four or five years out of a running back. And just kind of like what they're doing with Marlon Mack at the end of that rookie contract, they'll just draft a newer, younger running back who's cheaper to avoid having to give a running back that big contract when they're kind of at the tail ends of their career. Yeah, and I mean, if you kind of look back a little bit at Kansas City, where Chris Ballard came from, they've kind of done the same thing with their running backs. I mean, you look about, you know, Priest Holmes, Jamal Charles, uh, Larry Johnson. Those are all guys that were good for a couple of years, four years, probably four to five, and then they move on from them, and they continue to have, you know, great success. So that brings me to the point, obviously, you brought it up, Marlon Mack, the future of Mack is uncertain as they did not come to a contract extension, and his contract is up at the end of this year now. Looking at him and Taylor, what do you think are some similarities and some differences between the two running backs? I think they both have a lot of wiggle. I think Taylor can wiggle into holes and get in and out. I think Mac is very good at that. Um, I think Taylor is probably just the superior athlete, though. I think he has a little more speed, a little more power. That being said, I think Mac is probably a little further along as a pass catcher and as a blocker in the passing game. And Mac wasn't that coming out of, you know, USF when he was there. I think the Colts have done a nice job of, with him and kind of developing him into a better pass catcher and blocker. So I think the same can be said for Taylor, too. It's I think both are good running backs. I think Taylor's just kind of the newer, slightly more athletic model. Um, but I'm really interested to see how it plays out between those two, at least next season when they're both together. I think it can be a really dynamic one-two punch for the Colts. I think it can keep both guys fresh. I mean, we saw in 2006 when the Colts won the Super Bowl and they had that two-headed running back attack with Joseph Adai and Dominic Rhodes, that having two backs and kind of splitting that workload can keep both of those guys fresher down the stretch, especially when you're trying to play deep into the playoffs. And both mm-hmm. of those guys got a full tank of gas and not fumes. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see all three of these running backs work together. I mean, Naeem Hines, you know, 
this might limit his production a little bit because Jonathan Taylor, definitely, in my opinion, as far as you know, everyone's healthy and everyone's able to get through all the reps. And that's the only thing. I guess I should bring this up, too, because we don't know with coronavirus and everything going on when these teams will be able to meet again and have practice and stuff like that. So if it's kind of put on hold for you know a couple months and they're not able to get into that rookie training camp and you know be able to like you know do things as normal training camp in general do you think that could stunt you know the the development of Jonathan Taylor whereas Frank Reich looks at a guy like Naeem Hines that he's familiar with and Marlon Mack and kind of plays them a lot more on the depth chart and Jonathan Taylor kind of has to work his way in you know mid-season so to say because he's still trying to learn the playbook and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too. I, th- I think with Taylor being a running back, he's probably at a slightly greater advantage than some of his peers at other positions being rookies. I think running backs maybe don't need to know quite as much. As, or, or, or running backs are more able to run right away than other positions, I think, right. where you kind of have to learn, similar to kind of pass rushers, I think. But at the same time, it's a great point. I think Marlon Mack already has been here a number of years. So has Naheem Hines. They already understand that playbook in the scheme and what Frank Reich wants to do. Uh, so that, that could hurt Taylor's playing time a little bit. Um, that being said, I think most running backs are kind of ready to roll out of the gate. So even if it stunts his kind of growth and development slightly, I still picture him having a pretty big role. I, I think who it could hurt more is probably Michael Pittman Jr. at the wide receiver spot, just not being able to get that work in and, and build that chemistry with Phillip Rivers. I think right. that's, the guy that that's probably hurt a little more um but i still expect both to be con- immediate contributors for the colts whenever the regular season ultimately starts and whenever training camp and all preseason really get underway yeah and i i think that's a big thing it's just kind of we're, we're trying to imagine that football season will just resume as normal but i do think there's going to be some hurdles with how everything is going and how we go about trying to get back to normal life once the coronavirus situation has died down a little bit but um the last pick here i really want to discuss in depth is the the third round pick the safety from utah julian blackman you know the tape that they showed obviously the highlights for every prospect looks pretty good right but you know uh concerning injury that uh acl injury i believe it was at the end of the season last year so we'll have to see how he comes back from that but i want to get your thoughts on the colts kind of jumping the gun here a little bit early in the third round on julian blackman yeah, it seemed like they really liked Blackman. And even having that ACL tear in the Pac-12 championship game in his final game of the season, it seemed like the Colts weren't really um, deterred by that. I think they look at him and say, even if we get him back by October in his ACL recovery, and he's a little bit behind the eight ball than he normally would be as a rookie. Like We like this kid enough where we think he's going to be a big contributor for us down the road. And and just watching some of his highlights and his tape, uh, you can really already tell the versatility. He's a former cornerback. Um, he was two-time second-team All-Pac-12 at cornerback. Switches to safety his final year, becomes first-team All-Pac-12. So I, mean, I think he has that versatility in his coverage skills where the Colts can really use him as a Swiss Army knife in their secondary. You know, He can guard those tight ends who are a little bit bigger in the slot. And if they have injuries at cornerback, you could even see him playing cornerback a little bit. Um, and I think what stands out with him, with him beyond his versatility is his ball skills. He's had nine interceptions over the past three years. Um, he's a very good athlete. He's long. He plays really well hitting downhill and finding the football downhill. Um, kind of seems like he has an extra gear when he can just run downhill and hit someone or try to deflect a pass. Um, so I think he'll be a really good player for the Colts in time. They might just have to wait a little bit longer on him. 
And I think with the Colts, they were really in need of that reliable third safety. I mean, veteran Clayton Gathers departed in free agency. Uh, Malik Hooker has been kind of up and down. And we also know about his durability history where he hasn't really started a full 16-game season yet for the Colts. So it's important to have that third safety for depth. And even in certain nickel packages where they kind of put that third safety a little bit closer to the box or covering the slot. Um, So I think Blackman's a really under-the-radar pick, and it seems like his stock might have fallen a little bit because of that ACL tear. And I think the Colts were smart to take advantage, assuming they're not afraid to wait a few months. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. They didn't seem too concerned by it, which is a good thing, I guess you could say. And they did eventually get rid of Quincy Wilson, traded him to the Jets. I know that they, that's been kind of a lingering question for the last couple of years is how long is this guy going to last on the roster? And it just seems like the Jets love Colts defensive backs for some reason. But uh, <laughs> but I'm interested, you know, rounds five and six here, you know, had I believe it was uh, five or six picks here. So... I'm interested your thoughts on these last two rounds the Colts were in in the fifth and sixth round and any players that stand out to you. Sure. It, it seemed like the Colts went pretty heavy, heavy on offense early on. I think four of their first five picks were on offense. And in the later rounds, you started seeing some of those defensive picks. Um, I really like the Danny Pinner pick, the offensive guard they took in the fifth round out of Ball State. He's a former tight end at Ball State his first two years. His last two years, he converted to right tackle, where he started all 24 games, was first team all Mac his senior year. Um, seems like a good athlete who can move, has good quickness, get to that second level of the defense and really pull as a guard, which the Colts like doing with their guards, having to move in space. He's a good run blocker. So I think it's a good developmental prospect. He'll be a nice additional piece for the Colts as far as depth reminds me a little bit of Joe Haig as far as a former tackle that was converted to guard and can really just kind of play all over the line as a good athlete mm-hmm. um, I like the pick right after that with Rob Windsor you know the sixth round pick out of Penn State he's not the biggest guy I think 290 pounds but he you know he plays with good quickness he's a good athlete uh, he plays hard with the high motor and energy and intensity. And I think that's the type of tackle you want is that rotational backup and kind of go in there, play, you know, 10, 15 snaps and give you a huge lift on the defensive side. Um, and, and the other picks were good, too. I mean, the UMass corner Isaiah Rogers was a little, is a little undersized for the Colts standards, but he has great ball skills. He's really fast for the position. He has some versatility as a special teams return man. I think he'll be a nice pickup on special teams and even probably see some action in a limited role in certain nickel packages. Um, the round six pick with Desmond Patton, the Washington State receiver, I think that was a really under-the-radar pick too because he reminds me a lot of Michael Pittman Jr. He's a big-body right. receiver, you know, 6'4", 220 pounds or so, similar to Michael Pittman. I don't think he's quite he has been quite as productive and maybe isn't quite as good of an athlete but he still has that size. He's been productive. And I think in normal drafts, it's a type of guy that might have gone around or two higher. I just think in this draft, with the amount of wide receiver depth, that he fell a little bit. And I think the Colts were smart to pick up another big receiver to pair with Phillip Rivers, who, you know, as we talked about, loves throwing to those taller receivers downfield. And even a guy that maybe you could see, see him splitting out in the slot and Eric Ebron, like, roll down near the goal line. I mean, you need those big guys that you can kind of throw the ball to when you don't have as much yards to run, especially with guys like Hilton Campbell who can't really separate just because there's nowhere to go. Um, and the final pick was really interesting because I think that's the first time that I've seen the Colts, maybe since the Bill Polian era, take a guy solely for special teams. 
Um, we're talking about Jordan Glasgow, the converted safety, now linebacker um, for the Wolverines. And I think the Colts will kind of utilize him as, as a core special teams player. I mean, I think he plays hard. He flies around the field. And I think that speaks to the Colts' depth, too. Like, special teams is no doubt important, but when you're in a position where you can start drafting special teams guys, because maybe the other guys that are on the board you don't think would beat out any of the other guys already on your roster, I mean, I think that speaks to your depth. Right. I think it's also an important part of the game. So, and I think Chris Bowder has already said he expects him to be a core special teams contributor, which is, which is important on the bottom end of your roster. No, there's no doubt about it. We You need special teams. And I feel like the Colts special teams last year was awful. I mean, aside from Adam Vinatieri missing kicks, I just felt like the overall special teams was not very good. So they definitely, in my opinion, need to bolster that aspect of their, their roster up. But um, I know you're you're doing a great job covering the team for Stampede Blue, but I want to get your overall grade of this draft uh, from these picks. Yeah, I think I would give it – an A minus. I don't think it was a slam dunk, and I think you can look at some of the positions the Colts addressed, and maybe they're not immediate need fillers. I think you can. I think the the fourth round pick for Jacob Eason was great value. It's more of a down the road pick. I think you could say the same with Jonathan Taylor a little bit, at least a year out. But that being said, I mean, I, I still give them a very high grade. I think you look at it, and the Colts were in desperate need of some dynamic player and playmakers on offense. You know, last year they had T.Y. Hilton and Marlon Mack as guys that could really offer big playability. <clears throat> but beyond that, they didn't really have the guys that could get you know the twenty-yard big play. I think Jack Doyle is a very useful player as a sure-handed security blanket. I like Zach Pascal as a third or fourth wide receiver, but they needed guys that can generate big plays, dynamic plays. And I think you look at. Pittman's size, the way he runs, the way he catches and can high point a football. I think you look at Jonathan Taylor, and he's just a freak athletically with game-changing speed. And then they also got, you know, they got their development at quarterback of the future in Eason, hopefully in the fourth round, which is great value. They addressed the offensive line. They addressed the defensive secondary. Um, so it was just really all around. I thought they filled a lot of their needs. The remaining needs I think you would look at are maybe another edge rusher, to kind of replace Jabal Sheard in that versatile defensive end that can play, you know, against the run as a defensive end, passing situations, maybe you kick him into defensive tackle. But a lot of their needs were filled in this draft, and it seems like a lot of the draft experts, including Mel Kuyper Jr. and Lewis Riddick, really liked their draft. And I, I think I'll, I'd have to say the same. I don't think it was a slam dunk. I don't think it was perfect, but I think it was really good um, for what the Colts had to work with. <clears throat> Yeah, no, and I agree. I, I mean, this draft to me was one of the ones that I thought that, you know, I loved every pick as far as what I was paying attention to because I, I wasn't able to pay attention quite fully to day, day three on Saturdays doing some stuff. But, you know, the last one I really chimed into was the Jacob Beeson pick, and I was like, okay, I, I'm fine with that. And I want to just get this real quick before we go away here. I want to just get your final thoughts on Jacob Eason because – you know, do you really think that he is someone you could see develop into uh, the starting quarterback of the future, or do you see him more as a backup quarterback in the NFL? I think it's more likely that not. He probably doesn't end up as the long-term franchise quarterback of the Colts. I mean, I think there's probably, I don't know, I'd say a 30% chance you see him as, you know, the long-term impact starter. Um, that's not to say I don't think he was worth the gamble. I think he has the big arm that should play up to the NFL level. And I think at that spot, worst case, you're losing a fourth round pick, which isn't the end of the world. Uh, but I think there's definite value. I mean, I think when you look at his floor, if he even becomes, you know, a good backup for four to five years for the Colts, there's value in that. 
Mm-hmm. Especially if you're, when your starter gets hurt, you need a player that can come in there and at least keep you around 500, keep your playoff hopes alive until your starter hopefully comes back at some point. And I think he's in a great situation with the Colts. He's playing behind a veteran starter, Philip Rivers, who's a little bit similar as he is coming out of Washington with that gunslinger's mentality, that big arm. He can redshirt a year behind him, learn the Colts system. He's playing under Frank Reich, who's a former quarterback and has a really quarterback-friendly offensive system. And even Jacoby Brissett, I think, can help add to that leadership and really just surrounding him with good veteran mentors in that Colts quarterback room. So I think it's a good situation for him. I like the pick in the fourth round. I might not have liked it as much in the second round, but I think here we are. It was at the point of the draft where the talent met the risk, and I th- I'm hoping it pays off for the Colts. Yeah, I was right there with you. I did not want them to take him in the second or third round. I was thinking fourth round or later if they get a quarterback that falls to him. That they like, I'm fine with it. I'm glad it was Jacob Beeson and not Jake Fromm. Was not a big <laughs> Fromm fan. <laughs> did not care for any of the reports I read on him as a, as a prospect, but – it is all interesting, and I think the Colts are you know, headed in a good direction. There's no doubt about it. And unfortunately, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to be an option for him next year in the draft unless they trade some craziness. But, um, yeah, man, this was, this was a lot of fun, and I'm glad that we got to see the NFL draft. And as far as the format goes, did you enjoy the format as, as far as what they did with hosting the NFL draft and all of that, considering all the circumstances that we had? Yeah, I thought the coverage was great. I mean, for what ESPN had to work with, I'm sure there was a lot of obstacles for their production team, you know, planning cameraman, you know, not having as much accessibility to all the you know players and the coaches and being in New York or Chicago or wherever the draft is, you know, periodically held now. I thought they did a really good job. I thought the coverage was on point. I really liked the work that Daniel Jeremiah did on the ESPN mm-hmm. broadcast coming from NFL Network. I thought he was very insightful. Uh, Miss hearing Todd McShay a little bit. Uh, maybe the only downfalls or downsides of the draft uh, that I saw from ESPN's end was just sort of the forced tragic pieces. Yeah. Seemed like they put up every prospect's worst moment, which isn't, you know, I understand you've got to do a little bit of that, but after a while, I think you're kind of forcing the issue. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I think some of the live concerts, like I appreciate the cause, you know, supporting the coronavirus relief effort, certainly that's a great cause, but you know, I don't necessarily tune into the draft to hear Luke Bryan sing a country song. I mean, maybe in four stations that ESPN had been covering the draft, they could have had a more, you know, entertainment one for the fans who like to see some of that stuff. Um, doesn't mean there's not value in it. It's just not for me. I'd rather hear them analyzing prospects or breaking down film or whatnot as opposed to, you know, country music. And I like country music, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I like Daniel Jeremiah, too. I'm really glad that you brought him up. He's one of my favorite guys that covers the draft. And, you know, of course, you have Mel Kuyper Jr., you know, a, a classic staple of the NFL draft. And, and I did miss Todd McShay. It just sometimes I felt like there were too many analysts on there trying to, you know, break down every pick and all that stuff. A little bit uh, too much Trey Wingo for me as well. But, hey, you know, beggars can't be chooser at this point. I don't think Wingo's that bad. I just think with him going to the radio show in the morning, you just hear a guy all the time. You just kind of get tired of hearing him. But, you know, that's just the case with anything. But anyway, I like the Colts draft. I, I like your grade as an A-. minus. I think there's a lot of room to improve from last year. You know, a little bit underwhelming considering everything that happened with Andrew Luck. thought the Colts did a really good job of being competitive. Unfortunately, you know, they started out strong and finished really, you know, poorly. So, Fans were disappointed. It was easy to tune out towards the end of the season. But with that being said, they they went out and made some big-time moves, got some big-time players, and I think that they have a great chance to compete in the AFC South. 
And and you know, Luke, I'm just I'm just excited for this year, man. I'm not gonna lie. This is probably the most excited I've been for a Colts season uh, since Andrew Luck came back from the injury two years ago. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they have a great opportunity this year. You look at the AFC title game last year, and it was the Chiefs and the Titans. They beat the Chiefs on the road in that upset win early in the season. They also split the series with the Titans. So you know the Colts can beat either one of those teams. And I think what with the right improvements, of course. Um, but I think you have to look at the Colts, and it, it looks to me like they had a clear plan this offseason. They mm-hmm. went out, needed a quarterback. They signed Phillip Rivers. They then got to the draft. They drafted – Michael Pittman, who's a big receiver that Philip Rivers loves throwing to. They got another one in the later rounds, Desmond Patman, another guy that's big. Um, so I think both of those guys really fit what Rivers wants to do. And, and then I think they also got a running back. And, kept, you know, the, the running game is going to be the staple of that Colts offense, you know, a power running game and knowing full well that Philip Rivers is 38 years old and isn't going to completely air the ball out like he used to. They got him another workhorse back to pair with Max so they can really ride both of their horses. And I think that's – and I think that's what impresses me because I think in a lot of off seasons a team will make a lot of moves, but you know none of the pieces really fit, or it just doesn't make sense. Greater picture, it's almost like yeah, we assembled a lot of talent, but none of these pictures, you know, none of these pieces actually gel or can or fit like a puzzle. Whereas the Colts, it's like yeah, all the moves that they've made actually have actually you know fit together and actually make sense. And whether it works out or not, I don't know, but at least it seems like they had a clear vision, which I think is important. That is that is exactly the truth right there. It is important to have a clear vision and at least try to go and attack it. So, guys, you can follow Luke on Twitter at Luck at Luke. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. And until next time, Pacer fans, Colts fans, we hope you guys have a great time. We will talk to y'all next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.